this edition of the podcast, we took a look at the first presidential primary debate happening in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with the Republican Party. In fact, at that event, eight of the candidates went against each other for a two-hour debate, but notably, the frontrunner right now, Donald Trump, was not at the event. So what did we make from that event happening? For the conservative voters, for the Republicans out there, what was their take? To get their insight and an idea about everything, we had a panel of conservative voters, of Republicans, to tell us their thoughts on their party's first foray into the presidential nomination. Jeff Demmer is a principal at Two Rivers Public Affairs, a former Michigan GOP state executive director and longtime political strategist. Jeff, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you. I'm also joined by Michael Seltzer, a retired marketing executive. He voted for Donald Trump twice in the past two elections. Michael, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Nick. Glad to be here. And rounding out the conversation, I'm joined by Hassan Mimi, the Michigan GOP or the Michigan GOP Coalition Vice Chair. Hassan, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Nick. Thank you for having me. It's Hassan. It's Hassan. I'm going to get it right. Promise you. All right. Well, before we get into this debate, as I have three conservatives in the room with me, I want to get an idea of just how you became a Republican in the first place and why you're conservative just to set the ground floor. And we'll start with you, Jeff. Uh, Can you tell me how you ended up becoming a Republican and why you're conservative? Well, I I became a Republican uh, during the age of Ronald Reagan when Republicans were something far different than they are today, when conservatives were something far different than they've become today. Uh, when conservatives cared about policy, when they cared about ideology, and when they cared about national security. Mm, Decent point. Uh, Michael, why did you become a Republican? Why are you a conservative? Well, again, I would echo uh, what uh, my friend just said, that, you know, it it is about policies, and that uh, growing up in Detroit, um, I probably had much more of a liberal perspective. Both of my parents were liberals. Um, But as I grew and I became a businessman, I saw the value of uh, Republican policies in business. And uh, there are a number of things that I support, but I'm also, I diverge with some of my conservative colleagues on certain policies that affect us all. So I consider myself more of a compassionate conservative. I remember hearing about compassionate conservatism. Mm-hmm. That, was a, that was a phrase that takes me back a little bit. Let's mm-hmm. loop you into the conversation. Hassan, why are you a conservative? Why'd you be, well, become a, a Republican? I'm going to agree with both. It's uh, Policy had a lot to do with it. Uh, fiscal Republican as well. But then when you kind of look at it too, it's the progressive movement has gone a little too far left, as we like to say. And I kind of want to keep in touch with our roots as Americans and stay true to the Constitution. So I woke up and realized, you know, this is kind of the right side of the fight. How long, about how long ago was that that you woke up there? Uh, I would say it had to be in like 2012 while I was in the military. It was kind of everything going around me, going on around me kind of woke me up. You have an interesting background that I just want to let you get an opportunity to talk about because prior to that, you did mention you're in the military. Prior to that, you weren't conservative. So you can tell me a little bit about that process and how that happened for you. Well, growing up in Dearborn, we're we're always taught that the Democrats have, they look out for the interests of the minority groups and the working class. But as you slowly get into like Growing up and realizing what's going on in the world around us, you start realizing that the Democratic side is actually pushing away from the family life, uh, pushing things on our children in school, trying to, you know, indoctrinate them moving forward. So it was a lot of these issues that bring it back. But 
you want to add it's more also growing up in a household where my like my father's muslim my mother's southern baptist growing up in that household and seeing how much faith brings the family together and plays us in a role in every american life and as we further try to push that apart and remove that from the family's household you start seeing this collapse of every structure that we have going on kind of across the nation you mentioned the military, though, and so that would put you in around the time of the Iraq War. Uh, mm-hmm. How did your family react to that? Did that have anything to do with your transformation? Uh, my family, I kind of signed up, signed the contract yeah. before I told them. They yeah. weren't really happy. They didn't really understand. But then once I explained, I mean, I grew up in this nation, and as a child, I was always, my dad, you know, again, had me out of wedlock. So I was always called the child of the American. You know, you're, part, you're the American born into this country. Well, after 9-11 happened, now I'm not American because of my name and my faith. So it was more joining the, the military and getting into that side of it was to prove that we're, we care about this nation. It's very interesting. I, you, do, you have an interesting background there, Hassan. I appreciate you bringing that up here, but we want to get into the debate right now. So I'm going to start with you, Michael. What was your biggest takeaway from the debate last night? Well, I had no idea that UFOs were such a big issue in our country today, and that was pretty surprising. <laughs> that was your biggest takeaway? I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, you know, what I'm so impressed with is that the Republican Party has the most diverse slate of prospects. Um, And, you know, by contrast with our uh, Democratic friends uh, who are running an 80-year-old white guy with very low popularity against a 70-year-old who they don't even want to acknowledge nor debate, I have to say as a conservative I'm proud of the slate and that there were a number of takeaways last night. I thought Nikki Haley uh, hit it out of the park. She said some things that actually were were true about our own party as it relates to the deficit. And uh, there were very few uh, supporters of that perspective. So that was fair and that was honest. I like Vivek for his passion, his enthusiasm, his youth. He is a... Uh, a junior version of Donald Trump in that he's a businessman. He's not a politician. He comes with no experience or baggage. And of course, that was something that his opponents took off on. I, I understand that perspective, but I don't necessarily buy it because there are a lot of brilliant business people out there that can bring a whole different perspective to politics. And that's what really uh, Donald Trump brought in 2016. Right. I, I got to jump in here, Michael, because we got a lot of people that yeah, need yeah, to yeah, jump yeah. in here. So I want to get your uh, biggest takeaway, Jeff Timmer. What about you in watching the debate? Well, the biggest takeaway was was kind of like watching the NIT tournament. Um, Trump is playing in the NCAA you know, field of 64, and the rest of these folks were vying for a who cares mm. trophy. None of them have a chance to be the nominee. Uh, unless or until Donald Trump's aorta gives way. That's the only opponent he really has. And so it wasn't uh, um, captivating in, in any regard because none of those people on stage had a chance to be the nominee, um, let alone the character or qualifications to serve in the White House if they did. Jeff, do you think that there was anything that could have occurred at that debate last night that would have given somebody an opportunity to be the nominee? And if so, what would it have been? 
Well, I, I don't think there is because the Donald Trump is is the product that Republican voters want. That's the thing to keep in mind. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, praise of Nikki Haley's performance by observers, by pundits, but not by Republican voters. Um, I, you know, I think that uh, Ramaswamy was maybe the most uh, uh, inexperienced, unqualified uh, and unprepared candidate on the stage, which means he probably performed the best in the eyes of Republican voters. These days. <laughs> That's a take right there. How do you feel as a Republican uh, voter, Hassan? Uh, honestly, I was I was kind of saddened by it. It mm. turned into kind of a uh, back and forth at the end, and that's not what the voters really needed to hear. And the questions that were kind of pushed their way were weren't questions that I would ask personally. Well, what, what can you give me an example of what you didn't like? Well, they were talking about Pence's choice during the last election and and his decision toward the you know final results like that was just kind of putting him on center stage and trying to throw him down it was just the way it was set up was not it Did wasn't you, asking what people want to know it was asking more of the drama based questions so so i i understand that perspective but here's why i'm wondering about this because whomever takes this uh this uh the nomination is gonna have to win in the general mm -hmm. and i would think that even on the republican side your consideration for January 6th, it's one of the things that would separate you from other people on the stage, right? Because we want to get daylight. We know all the Republicans, abortion, we know their take on that, right? We know their take on a lot of these issues. January 6th is an opportunity to see, hey, in terms of leadership, which side would you come across? I would think. Are you telling me that Republican voters or conservatives aren't as interested in that question? I mean, the, the, it could be, but it wasn't... It wasn't it wasn't asked in that manner. Mm. It was asked more about Pence and his character. Mm -hmm. And then it was everybody else kind of playing along to it. Every question was kind of catering, you know, and. and yeah, it wasn't. You, you Go ahead, Michael. No, no one that I know looked at January 6th and came away with, wow, what a great day for America. We all watched in horror. This was not something that we would have expected nor wanted mm. and and as connected as i am in the party i didn't hear anything about these plans for any kind of a capital incursion people said are you there i said no what what what's going on i had no idea this was as and i hate to relate this to the summer of protests that preceded this but there are agitators in every situation mostly peaceful is mostly peaceful until it's not. And that's what happened on January 6th, and I don't make any excuses for it. But frankly, we are all tired of regurgitating the same information over and over, primetime specials, Hollywood packages. The media dominated by liberal perspectives is what really puts us off and so forces us to be more supportive even though I have said publicly, I would like Donald Trump to hand the baton to another. Well, Michael, you said a lot of things there. And I have lots of pushbacks, but okay. I'm going to focus this on the debate right now. One of the things that you did say to me, though, was that this was the most diverse slate of candidates, which I saw one woman on stage. I saw one African-American man on stage. And then Vivek was on stage also, who's a child of immigrants. Um and then you compare that to the Democrats, which, you know, it's not it's pretty disingenuous. You typically if you're the one in the presidential seat, you have it. You, you rerun your person. That doesn't say anything about diversity. But if you look back to four years ago, 
far more diversity on the stage. So what would you respond to that? Why do you think that this from the GOP strikes you as extremely diverse? Well, I mean, it is. I mean, come on, let's be realistic. It is diverse. And I, my comparison is simply because, let's face it, Joe Biden is a very unpopular president. He's old and not as vital as he was. And there is concern for all of us, that the person that follows could be someone who we think is less qualified than Joe Biden. And I think the Democratic Party needs to own up to that and at least open up the discussion for debate. And they've kind of shut that down. I don't understand. I, well, I don't see what that has to do with diversity, but I could just be missing it. I'll, I'll loop you back in, Jeff Timmer. Uh, do you think that this was a diverse slate of candidates for the Republicans on stage? Compared to, it could have been all old white guys, but it wasn't. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it, it really is is pointless. I mean, the 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 race is going to be mm. an old white guy versus an old white guy. Donald Trump is three years <laughs> younger than than Joe Biden. And mm. talk of anybody else is is really ridiculous. We're, we're, we're talking about hypotheticals that will never happen. The race is going to be a repeat of the 2020 race. Um, you know, we just heard the nonsense from Michael talking about the fact that, you know, we had the president of the United States, the leader of the Republican Party, organizing and fomenting a the the the, the worst day ever in American history, and kind of brushing past it like, oh, you know, let's let's just get by this and stop talking about it. I mean, come on. I, I didn't you, say you, that. You know. I did not say that we should brush past it. I believe you said that people are tired of talking about I it. I think we are tired of talking I, I about it because it's dominated the conversation. I think people are tired of talking about it. Mm. And it should dominate the conversation because that's what this next election but, is going to be about. But don't do we you want agree? to return to that or, it, or do, it, we want, or do we want something else? Agree. Don't you think, though, it was over in five hours and we went back to the business of the people and that no because the republican party from top to bottom has has they did not they did not join all of them in the in the insurrection on january 6th but they all signed up for it afterward can i can i jump in on that Please january do. 6th there's parameters if we're gonna i'm tired of talking about january 6th because we're not really allowed to talk about it there's there's parameters that were set that we don't talk about like there's a lot of wrong on one side but there was the police officers were letting people through the gates. There's videos out there, but that's never discussed. There's a lot of things. So whenever, if we can't have a fair conversation about it, then we can't, there's no point of having a conversation. That's the frustration I see that comes from the Republican side of it. Yeah, gentlemen, we're going to get to some calls. I, I will say something on this point because, um, you know, I hear what you're saying, Hassan, and uh, Hassan, excuse me. And I understand that there's a lot of perspective, but Part of it is where we're getting our facts from, right? So mm -hmm. the information I understand from the police, for example, letting police in, just to use that specific, they weren't doing that. They were controlling traffic and crowds, right? They weren't trying to let people into the Capitol. Now, I know I could say that and you say, well, we've got video of this. So part of the question is, who do you trust in these circumstances? And I wonder if the deterioration of trust in institutions, especially by conservatives, lets them go, even though the police are telling me this is what we did, I don't trust them on that. And in my perspective, it's part of this big issue is if we're not even going to agree on those facts, then we can't even have an honest discussion about mm -hmm. this. Because what a lot of people, just to speak from what I hear, are concerned about with January 6th is it feels like no one will be held accountable and the thing can happen again. And if we just brush past it, something like this could happen again. That's the concern. 
Uh, but we also the concern is also these phone calls because they are lighting up oh, with you guys. Nick, here. one more point. Do Real you, quick. 30 seconds. Do you, do you agree that there is media dominance primarily by the liberal driven narrative? Because let's face it, the media emanates from the two coasts, New York and California. These are liberal states. We start out every election with with uh, a, a big lead for the Democratic candidate by virtue of New York and California. All the media comes from there. Yeah. The liberal perspective drives the narrative. There's, there's Fox News and there's everybody else. You know, this is what I would tell you about this, Michael. If you're doing your job properly, even we all, to act as though someone doesn't have a perspective is false. But I can tell you what I do whenever I get in this chair, right? I try to think about all sides of the angle. I try to give the best perspective, the most charitable point of view I can to people who disagree with me. You're very fair. And I still might disagree. But the point is that even if you have that background, it is possible to look at things uh, with clarity. And that's my goal here. So You're very fair. I agree. All right. And we're going to get to some phone calls. I got to be fair to the callers and you, the listeners. So when we continue on 1019 WDET, we're going to start getting the calls in and continue to hear from you about what you thought of the GOP debate. A little bit later on, we're going to get the Democrats' perspective as well. But right now, keep it locked right here as we continue with our discussion on Detroit Today. It's 101.9 WDET. I'm Nick Austin in for Stephen Henderson discussing the GOP debate that happened last night with the people that matters to the most, the conservatives, the Republicans. In fact, we've got three on air with me right now. I know. How amazing is that? Huh? Michael Seltzer joins us as well as uh, Hassan Nimi. And we also have Jeff Timmer on the line, all conservatives with different perspectives. But we want to talk to you also. And that's why we're starting with Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Yeah, good morning. I just wonder what your guests have to say about uh, Christina Caramo and the state of the Michigan Julia. It kind of seems a little chaotic. And maybe it's a microcosm of the national GOP. Yeah, yeah. Phone's breaking up a little bit there, Charlie. But, Jeff, I'll present the question to you, first of all. I feel like you have some thoughts on this one. Well, uh, the state of the Michigan Republican Party, the actual organization is in shambles. Uh, they're uh, uh, financially bankrupt, they're ideologically bankrupt, and they're morally bankrupt. That's succinct and to the point. Uh, Hassan? I'm going to, well, the question was on Christina Caramo's right. leadership, uh, but the MIGOP in general, I'm going to speak out of, I'd like to, when we, we touched on diversity earlier. I'm sure. going to say this is the most diverse group of leadership the state has ever had, if I'm not mistaken, any state. I will state, not dispute that. I don't know about any state, but certainly here well, in Michigan, more can, diverse than previously. Well, if you look at it, it's it's all females. The only two males are Muslim. We have another female, a Muslim, mm -hmm. uh, two African Americans. Like it's mm -hmm. it's very diverse mm -hmm. when you look at it, and then so that's it shows that our party's moving forward. We're coming together across the state. As far as Christina Caramo in the chair and the choices going on, it's it's a work in progress. She's new, you know. She was coming in after an SOS race. She yeah. hasn't led a state party before, and it was a lot of learning curves. Yeah. I can say as a as a vice chair, a lot of us were put in the dark for a while. Mm -hmm. 
And as she figured out her thing, and it took a long time to get all of us into play, but now that everybody's kind of working together and we're all rolling, it is slowly coming together. All right. We just need us to further work together and more communication. Appreciate that look from the inside. A lot of calls, so we're going to keep moving through them. Next is John in Detroit. John, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. All right, I don't have John here. We're going to put you back on hold, John, and we're going to move to Mike in Chesterfield. Mike, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. I hope everybody's doing today. Doing well. Go ahead. Good. Yes. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was that the unfortunate situation regarding the debate last night and like all of Republican politics that you can see is that um, we are consistently trying to go backwards mm. to this greatness neoliberal attitude that is kind of obsolete at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and Mike, your your mic, your phone is cutting a little bit in and out. But from what I can hear from you, it's basically that these debates, there's a, this disconnection between the candidates you saw and someone like Vivek and uh, uh, where the party seems to be going moving uh, forward. I do appreciate your call. I'll let you give the response there, Michael. Well, I mean, again, you, we have a, a slate of candidates. Last night was a little messy, but that's what debates are, you know, and the the elephant in the room was that Donald Trump was on with Tucker Carlson and got over a hundred million listeners. And by comparison, Fox did a big rating at 5 million, but clearly Trump is, whether he's in the room or not, he's sucking all of the oxygen out of this. And that is where the party is. That's where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks again, Mike. Uh, we're going to move now to Louise in Detroit. Louise, go ahead. Lou, Louise, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Yeah. Hi. Uh, thanks for uh, holding this conversation because it's, uh, I think, really important for us to understand the Republican point of view. I'm, I got to tell you, I'm on the left, but to me, most importantly, it's not whether we're on the left or the right, but whether or not we're really talking to each other. And, yeah, number one, our country. I became a U.S. citizen about five years ago, and I come from a place of a lot of turmoil, and I am really afraid that we're at the precipice of a civil war if we don't really start listening to each other. Mm, well, it is something that I hear about. I do appreciate that perspective from you, Luis. Go ahead, Michael. Well, here we are listening to each other. That's the beauty of this. I mean, right in this room, there's a black man, two Muslim men, and a Jewish guy. And we are talking to each other. And ironically, the, the three conservatives uh, would not be perceived as conservatives the way we look, the way we dress, the way we act. And that happens all the time. We are maligned. We are denigrated in general. And that frustrates me. And I hear things about what Republicans think. I am a Republican who has a blessed, beautiful, talented, medical professional gay daughter. I support gay rights. But I understand in Christianity why there is pushback. And I I understand that you can have a different perspective on that subject. And it's acceptable, and you shouldn't be forced to believe something you don't believe. Yeah, Michael, I understand that. My pushback would be, and I hear from you, the key would be what the party's doing, some of the actors on the party, for people who are gay to live their life and to have to live in fear because of actions that occur mostly on one side, on one party side, and it feels like the people on that side don't even put it in check. So they live physically in fear from what can occur to them. 
I know you, you. I know you're shaking your head. You're saying that's not the perspective they should have. But I'm telling you, from speaking to people, from some because of the way that they have interactions, they feel like second class citizens. But and again, when, go Nick, ahead. That is the, my problem with the media. What? That is the narrative that comes from the media. And you may know people who are. That's what I'm talking uh, okay, about. Okay, and I do too. Right, and that's my point. But we can't be painted with a broad brush stroke. I'm not Can, painting you with a broad brush. All I'm saying is the concern that they have these folks will be that well if one party allows for that to foster and it becomes a driving factor or a significant factor a lot of concern there because that would affect people's lives i'm going to let uh, you go ahead go ahead yeah, and i'm going to jump in on that because if you if you look at it that in that perspective well what about on the other side the religious people are being pushed back from the other party as well now yeah. in the state we gave we it's it's a scale and it's it's not balanced anymore we it's tipping to one side versus the other it's now the, it flipped before where the LGBTQ community, they felt shunned and left out and the religious community had all the power and the voice. And now it's it's becoming to flip where now yeah. the schools, you can't talk about religion, but you could push every other kind. I'll, I'll give you two points. And then I'm not trying to cut off the conversation. Yeah. I got to get back to the calls. No right. But number one on that would be uh, the issue of you responded to my point with a what about and a something else. And even if I were to grant you all that, which I don't quite, and I'll respond to that in a second, it doesn't change the first thing I said. But it, but it does. Because if you look at the Republican Party, you have you have a lot of Republicans that are open to that. Granted, you're going to have on each side people that are close-minded, and let's be very real about that. But then you also, if you look at the Republican Party, there's like a log members cabin that I found out when I was running for Congress. I got to there meet them. And, and they're LGBTQ yeah, friendly. There's yeah. a lot. The issue <laughs> guys, is... Guys, guys, the, guys, guys. Go ahead, Jeff, I mean, please. this is... No, I, you can p- point out individual outliers. That's right. But as a, as a party... The you, you cannot say with any straight face that the Republican Party supports gay rights. You just can't do it. Yeah. And I, I got to go to the other phone lines, other calls. We, we could again, maybe we'll come back and have a discussion just based on that. But like I said, we've got other people on the line. Thank you so much, Louise, for jumping in on this right now. I want to jump into Tim. Go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Tim and Pontiac. Hi. Um, my feeling is the party of law and order is tired of hearing about the January 6th insurrection, well, then let's just forgive all crimes because they all happened in the past. And my other point is that the police officers that allowed the people to walk in into the Capitol, well, look at the mob that happened outside. Did, they not, did the Republicans not see that mob? They were scared for their lives. Yeah. Thank you. All right. I appreciate your point there, Tim. Any response from anyone? Or can I go on to the next question? Well, I I know someone who was at the uh, January 6th rally, and he witnessed Secret Service and people that are part of law enforcement welcoming people into the Capitol. That's a fact. Into the physical building, you're saying they were like, come on in, man, it'll be cool. I'm telling you what this individual represented, and he has no, no... a grudge on this issue. He right. simply is a witness. So. I, the, the thing that I think people are concerned about is, you, fair, this is one story, you know, we're yeah, talking yeah. about single issues. Are they representative of the whole or not? 
I would uh, push back against that, right? We're trying to get them from a multitude of perspectives and things. I'm pretty sure attorney generals who are bringing these cases don't think that they were invited in. But, you know, that, that's a lot of evidence a- against it. Well, I, weren't there also things said about police officers who died that day? Again, and, you're moving to something else. Well, but, but only because the, re- the reporting was such. Mm. And then we found out a, a, an officer had a stroke a few days later. Yeah. They attribute that to January 6th. I mean, there's a lot of misrepresentation in all of this. And again, I'm not defending it. Yeah, it was a yeah. horrible day. I got uh, I got phones to go to right go. now. Peter, go ahead. You're on. Yeah, Peter in Detroit. You're on Detroit today. Uh, hi, Nick. And uh, good morning to all your guests. I want to push back on some of the things that I've heard you all say. Number one. Republicans used to be the party of fiscal discipline and and uh, small government. The last three Republican presidents have run up the largest deficits in the history of deficits. And you can't ignore that. To say that the media is liberal, which has been a, a, a trope of the Republican Party for a long time, the media, the largest media corporations are some of the largest corporations on the planet. And if they were so liberal, their, their labor policies would reflect that, and they don't. Hey. January 6th, the only reason Donald Trump was not in the front of the line because he told the people there he would be. Mm-hmm. He said, we're going to go to the Capitol, we're going to stop this, and I'm going to be with you. Yeah. Direct quote. But the Secret Service wouldn't let him do it, and that's the only reason he wasn't there. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have been in the very front of the line. Peter, You all cannot ignore that. You he, can't say that the only person who has the character to be the president is Donald Trump. Yeah. Everybody who was on that stage last night was, was, were people of greater character, if the Republicans are about character. And oh, by the way, indoctrination, you can't get more indoctrinating than the Pledge of Allegiance. All right, Peter, I got to jump in right here just because, like I said, a lot of calls. I appreciate your points. Michael, you're chomping at the Re- bit. Go remember what I, what I said. I am suggesting it would be great if both of the front runners handed the baton to another younger generation. If Trump is the nominee, it is because he is that popular. But to your point about liberal-driven media. I ask you to look at the, Monday, the daily morning news and information programs. Every one of them is hosted by a liberal and produced by liberals. George Stephanopoulos is on six days a week. He hosts the Sunday morning program. All of the Sunday morning news programs are dominated by liberals. And the late-night comedy shows, Fallon and Kimmel and uh, the other... I can't think of his name at the moment. Colbert. Doesn't that I mean, just mean conservatives on. need to be funnier? Man, get some better jokes. <laughs> this, this man. We have Greg Gutfeld. That's what it says oh to me. Gosh. He's killing. He's oh, killing. Well, he's know, got the number man. one late night show. And, and well, there you go. Why are you okay. complaining? He but, got the number I'm one late is, night but, show. But, You're crushing no, but, but we, we have to, if we're talking about media, we do have to say that they push all the same narrative. Well, it is I mean, a leftist you, narrative. Pushing narratives. The view. Well, we can talk about the election. I don't recommend you get your news from the view. But we can be. Yeah, that's good. Let's let's not talk over each other gentlemen have a little bit of a we got time for one more person i think i can bring on here into this call uh and that is melissa in pontiac melissa go ahead you're on detroit today uh hi nick and uh hi your guest i wonder if um one of the guests could comment on the republic debate being not so public on the televising Oh, on one right. Show, yes. That, and not televising 
a network television, therefore excluding a larger public audience. That is a great point, Melissa, because it's something I noticed, too. When I was trying to watch this debate, I had to give Fox News my email address in order to watch it. And this isn't a Fox News thing to watch it online because I don't have cable. And so there was it wasn't on free TV. It wasn't available just to stream over YouTube. And I honestly don't like giving my email address to anybody because I don't like spam. You know, looking for conservatives and uh, candidates, all you do is hit me up with you. I need 25 bucks, 25 bucks. It's annoying. Why didn't Fox News make this or what comment do we have to them not making it a little bit more free to the public? Jeff, I'll let you jump in on this. Well, it's customary that there's a media sponsor that one network, uh, be it cable or a broadcast network, would would sponsor a a debate. That happened when I ran the Republican Party. Uh, We had a debate with uh, CNBC uh, back in in 2007. And so that's not uh, out of the ordinary. Um, Not making it free is is something that would be new. Uh, You would want to, in my mind, increase viewership and and, uh, make it as widely available as possible. Yeah, yeah. I want to I, I appreciate that. Hassan, what response do you have? I, I agree as well. Fox should have opened it up to everybody. It was I as well was at an event and then I went and tried to watch it and it was it was hard. I could only pull it up on YouTube with a uh with a progressive commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. And and I assume that these things are rotated, that the debates are rotated and there are different networks that are going well, to no, be. That's true. And, yeah. and, and like the Super Bowl, yeah. it's not on the same network all the but, time. But, you know, Fox News could, I think I've seen stream debates from them before. They could have opened it up to the public. Yeah. They chose not to. Melissa, I really appreciate your point. That was a good one to bring up. I thought that was curious. Let's move to Mark in Ann Arbor. Mark, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Hi, um, I wanted to push back on some of the comments made about, on January 6th and then and, on, uh, about the LGBTQ plus community. So I, I work in the realm of political extremism. I, I study, this, uh, study this content every day. Um, I, I'm, I'm very interested in January 6th, and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed there wasn't more pushback on, on some comments about uh, how we minimize January 6th on the show. So I, I know there was um, somebody said that the police and Secret Service were letting people into the Capitol. How people have been charged with entering the Capitol or, particip- or participating in January 6th? Yeah. And I just... Just because they they were let in doesn't mean it was okay, especially when it comes to the framing of the backslide of democracy. Yeah, and I I I'd really like to back on that. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mark. And I know you have the other point. I just would like you got thirty seconds because again, a lot of calls. So just go ahead with it, and we do appreciate that. Mark, you there? You still there, Mark? Oh, it looks like I lost Mark. I didn't mean to cut him off. I wanted to hear the second <laughs> point. We, a, lot, a lot of traffic control here. Mark, That if you have a point that you think should be brought up, that's why we've got the open lines to let you in. I'm just telling you, a lot of things being said here. I'm jotting down notes. I can only talk about so many at a time, but uh, that's why you're here. Call in if you feel like there's something that needs to be brought up, and we appreciate that. That's why we're going to Rhiannon right now in Detroit. Rhiannon, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Hi. Yes. Thank you. Um, I am reaching out as an independent woman and watching the debates last night, listening to all the male voices here. I need to find some bit of a space for myself in this party 
And with so much control on women's bodies being the primary topic, I don't know where that is. And I would love to see a space for women mm-hmm. who believe in controlling their bodies just as many as uh, just as much as other people believe in, in allowing access to their guns. Yeah. And they're right. You know, Rhiannon, I just want to let you know, um, yesterday when we decided we were doing this show, I reached out to a bunch of female conservatives, many willing to come on, literally just scheduling issues. But we did uh, connect with some people that we are hoping to have on in the future. So there's some intentionality there. I understand your point and appreciate that. Jeff, I'm going to go ahead and let you jump in with your response. No, I think that uh, the the caller is is correct. I mean, there's a uh, again, there's a um, the Republican Party is uh, extremist in their position on uh, things like abortion. They they do not represent the the vast majority of of people in Michigan or in the country who are appalled at the thought of criminalizing abortion and forcing uh, women and girls to carry babies that uh, that they don't want. Uh, and so it, to say that they're, that the, the country is divided on this, it's true, but it's divided with a super majority of people coming down on the, the pro-choice side, the, certainly the, the, the anti-criminalization side. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's something that we see in polling. I have heard, uh, you know, abortion came up as the most discussed subject during the debate, although uh, I don't know how much uh, control a president would have over that specifically. It'd have to pass the Senate first, which was discussed. But it's also interesting to me when I think about this topic, because there are a lot of male voices uh, discussing it. I hear religion come up. This came up during this discussion, but we do also have separation of church and state, right? So I wouldn't say to someone what you do religiously, uh, you can't do. I would say maybe that means you can't mandate that to all of us, the rest of us, because of the separation. But then I present that to you, Michael, uh, the points also from Rhiannon. The adults in the room need to sit down and find consensus because 15 weeks is what is being promoted by Republicans. And there are people that are unwilling to consider anything other than complete abortion rights. And this was something that was decided and really changed the the direction of the 2018 uh, midterms. Uh It brought a lot of controversy that was probably unhelpful to the Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. There is extremism on both sides, and the parties need to get together and find consensus. I think 80 or 90 percent of Americans agree that it should be a woman's right, but there should be limitation. It shouldn't be up to the moment of birth. Yeah, Michael, I hear both sides a lot, and there's some merit to that, absolutely. The question would be, to what extent, right? If you have 2% on one side and 50% on the other side, pulling numbers just out of the random air, that wouldn't quite be a balance, right? So some of it is also figuring out, sure, it's both sides, but how much? Is there something that's tipping the scales? One thing I found interesting during the debate, though, was the discussion on how the federal government should not be involved in most other things. But when it comes to this issue, some people advocated for a federal government ban, but then said, no, the federal government shouldn't be involved, but then states should be involved, but then that's another government, and it's still not the individual. So for me, I'm just having difficulty even understanding how that all connects from a conservative perspective. I mean, do you believe it should be up to the individual, the state, or the the federal government? I think it should be the state. I think it should be all the constituents of a state come together. It shouldn't be a national issue. That's too. Why should the state 
be make a choice on this then when we don't want the state to make federal choices or choices broadly over uh, other I- issues of individual freedom? Well, passing laws on ourselves is us basically we're adding guidelines and, yeah. and, and an idea of how to go about something. Each state should go out and decide that it shouldn't be an individual choice because then yeah. – we're, we still go back to this problem. Having mm-hmm. late-term abortion is where we're finding the biggest pushback, and it's and, it, and I don't agree with it at all. So when you're having abortions that late, there should be rules yeah. against that because now you're there's a lot of your populace that are getting angry with that, and you're causing a divide. And well, the idea of a government is to keep everybody yeah. working well together and living happily amongst each other. Uh, you, you know, no, 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 I got to end it there. But, gentlemen, I do appreciate you coming in. It's great being That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Program director is Adam Fox. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. The Detroit Today podcast is edited by David Lyons. Give us a rating and leave us a review. 